Volume Three, Chapter Four of *The Widow Barnaby* by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four, An Adventure, Another Letter from Miss Morrison, productive of a powerful effect upon her brother. He forsakes his client and his friend. Agnes is left alone and employs some of her leisure in writing a letter to Miss Compton. The following day was an eventful one for the first time since they had been in london agnes on seeing her aunt preparing to go out asked permission to go with her and you may go if you will was the answer but before her bonnet was tied on mrs barnaby changed her mind saying put down your bonnet agnes upon second thoughts i don't choose to take you look at all these things of mine lying about here i have told you that it is likely enough we may set off by a night coach and i have got as you know to go out with mr morrison so i should be much obliged if you would please to tell me how all my packing is to get done if you will let me go out with you now aunt i shall have plenty of time to do all that remains while you are out with mr morrison replied agnes agnes you are without exception the most impertinent and the most plaguing girl that ever a widowed aunt half ruined herself to provide for but i won't be bullied in this way either stay at home if you please and do what i bid you or before this time to-morrow you may be crying in the streets of london for a breakfast i should like to know who there is besides me in the wide world who would undertake the charge of you do you happen to know any such people miss if you do be off to them if you please the sooner the better but if not stay at home for once without grumbling and do what you're bid there was just sufficient truth mixed with the injustice of these harsh words to go to the heart of poor agnes her aunt compton in reply to a letter of mrs barnaby written in a spirit of wanton impertinence and in which she made a formal demand of one hundred pounds a year for the expenses of agnes answered in great wrath that she and agnes both had better take care not to change their residence so often as to lose a parish settlement for they might live to find that a much better dependence than anything they would obtain from her this pettish epistle received the day before they left silverton was carefully treasured by mrs barnaby and often referred to when she was anxious to impress upon her niece a sense of her forlorn condition and helpless dependence so all hope from that quarter seemed to be for ever shut out and could she forget that even at the moment when the dangers of her situation had so forcibly struck lady elizabeth norris as to make her approve that she had before declared to be worse than any home that even at that moment she had explicitly declared that neither herself nor her niece could take charge of her these were mournful thoughts and it was no great proof of agnes's wisdom perhaps that instead of immediately proceeding to the performance of her prescribed task she sat down expressly to ruminate upon them but the meditation was not permitted to be long for hardly had she rested her elbow upon the table and her cheek upon her hand in the manner which ladies under such circumstances always do than she was startled by a violent knocking and simultaneous ringing at the street-door followed as soon as it was opened by a mixture of two or three loud and angry voices amidst which she clearly distinguished that of her aunt and the moment after she burst into the room accompanied by the gentleman who had appeared to admire so greatly in the street the day before together with two other much less well-looking personages who stuck close upon the heels of mrs barnaby with more appearance of authority than respect you shall live to repent this treatment of a lady cried mrs barnaby who was no other than the keeper of the livery stable from whom she had hired the carriage and horses which had dignified her existence for the last month 
you shall be taught to know what is due from a trumpery country tradesman like you to a person of my fortune and station what put it into your head you vile fellow instead of waiting for my return to cheltenham to follow me to london in this abominable manner and to arrest me in the public streets it is no difficult matter to tell you that mrs barnaby if that's your name replied the man and you'll find that i am not the only vile fellow holding himself ready to pay you the same compliment though i knowing the old saying first come first served took some trouble to be the first and do you really pretend to fancy you pitiful creature cried mrs barnaby in a voice in which terror and rage were struggling do you really pretend to believe that i am not able to pay your two-penny half-penny bill a thousand times over can't say indeed ma'am replied the man i shall not stand upon sending you to prison if you will discharge the account as here we stand paying fees and expenses of course as is fitting here are the items neither many nor high carriage and horses one month twenty-five shillings per diem thirty-seven pounds coachman's livery board and wages twenty pounds footman's ditto hired to order twenty-five pounds for a total of eighty-two pounds deduct liveries if returned minus twelve pounds remains seventy pounds and all our expenses and fees added won't make it above seventy-seven pounds or seventy-eight pounds altogether so ma'am if you are the great lady you say you won't find no great difficulty in giving me a write-off for the sum and my good friends here shall stay while i run and get it cashed after which i will be ready to make you my bow and say good morning the anger of mrs barnaby was not the less excited because what mr simmons the livery stable-keeper said was true and she seized with considerable quickness the feature of the case which appeared the most against him your vulgar mode of proceeding at cheltenham mr simmons is i am happy to say quite peculiar to yourselves for though for my age i have lived a good deal in the world i certainly never saw anything like it here have i like a woman of fortune as i am paid nobly since i have been in your trumpery town for every single thing for which it is customary to pay ready money and when a job like yours which never since the creation of the world was paid except from quarter to quarter has run up for one month down comes the stableman post haste after me with a writ and a rest i wonder you are not ashamed of yourself i dare say i should ma'am you talking so fine as you do if i had nothing to put forward in return i don't believe mrs barnaby but what you or any other rich seeming lady like you i don't believe but what any such might have come to cheltenham and have run up debts to the tune of a thousand pounds and not one of us taken fright at it provided the lady had stayed quiet and steady in the town where one had one's eyes upon her and was able to see what she was about but just do now look at the difference the season's pretty foolish says one and trades brisk that's true says another only some's going off and that's never a good sign especially if they go without paying and who's after that shabby trick says another neither more nor less than the gay widow barnaby is the answer the devil she is says one she owes me twenty pounds i hope you are out there neighbour says another for she owes me thirty and me ten and me fifty and me nineteen and me forty and so on for more than all number and what pray is the wisest among them likely to do in such a case why just what your humble servant has done neither more nor less and what right have you audacious man to suppose that i have any intention of not returning and paying all i owe as i have ever and always done before 
nothing particular except your just saying ma'am that you should be back in two days and nevertheless not making yourself be heard of in ten and your rooms kept and your poor maid kept in em all the time too this man talks like one who knows not what a lady is said mrs barnaby her eyes flashing and her face crimson but i must beg to ask of you sir turning to one of the bow street officials whether i am not to have time allowed for sending to my lawyer and giving him instructions to settle with this fellow here why by rights ma'am you should go to a sponging-house without loss of time that we might get the committal made out and all regular but if you be so inclined as to make it worth while to my companion and me i don't think we shall object to keeping guard over you here instead while you send off for any friends you choose to let into the secret the friends i shall send to are my men of business fellow replied mrs barnaby with the strongest expression of disdain that she could throw into her countenance you don't i hope presume to imagine that i would send for any one of rank to affront them with the presence of such as you fair words butter no parsnips is a good saying and a true one but i'll add to it that saucy ones unlock no bolts and if you expect to get out of this scrape by talking big it's likely you may find yourself mistaken a bill must be a good deal longer than this man before the paying it will be much of a scrape to me said the widow affecting to laugh what a fool you are agnes she continued turning to the corner of the room into which the terrified girl had crept what a prodigious fool to be sure you must be to sit there looking as white as a sheet because an insolent tradesman chooses to bring in a bill of a month's standing with a posse of thief-takers to back it get up pray and bring my desk here i wish to write to my attorney in obedience to this command agnes rose from her chair and attempted to cross the room to fetch the desk which was at the other extremity of it but not all her efforts to arouse her strength sufficed to overcome the sick faintness which oppressed her do for god's sake move a little faster child said mrs barnaby but agnes failed in her habitual and meek obedience not by falling into a chair but by sitting down in one conscious that her fainting at such a moment must greatly increase her aunt's embarrassment i'll get the desk miss said one of the terrible men in a voice so nearly expressive of pity that tears started to her own eyes in pity of herself as she thought how wretched must be the state of one who could inspire such a feeling in such a being but she thanked him and he placed the lady's desk before her that pretty little rosewood desk that had been and indeed still was the receptacle of my lord mucklebury's flattering if not binding effusions and as the thought crossed the brain of mrs barnaby that she had hoped to make her fortune by these same idle papers she felt for the very first time in her life that perhaps after all she had not managed her affairs quite so cleverly as she might have done it was a disagreeable idea but even as she conceived it her spirit rose to counteract any salutary effect such a notion might produce and with a toss of the head that indicated defiance to her own common sense she opened her desk with a jerk and began editing an epistle to mr magnus morrison but this epistle though it reached the lawyer in a reasonably short time after it was written was not the first he received that day for the cheltenham post had brought him the following dear brother don't blame me if the gay widow i introduced you to the week before last should prove to be a flam as my dear father used to call it i am sorry to say there are great suspicions of it going about here she left us telling everybody that she should be back in two days and it is now more than ten since she started and no soul has heard a word about her since this looks odd and bad enough you will think but it is not the worst part of the story i am sorry to say pas de tout as you shall hear when she first came to cheltenham she took very good rooms 
a separate drawing-room which always looks well and dress and all that quite corresponding but no servants nor carriage nor anything of the high-flying kind now observe magnus what follows and then i think that you will come to a right notion of what sort of person you have got to deal with no sooner did mrs barnaby get acquainted with lord mucklebury than she set off living at the rate of some thousands a year and the worst is as far as i am concerned that she coaxed me to go round bespeaking and ordering everything for her i know you will tell me magnus that my father's daughter ought to have known better and so i ought but upon my word she took me in so completely that i never felt a single moment's doubt about the truth of all she said and i believe too that the superior sort of elegant look of that beautiful miss willoughby went for something with me having told you all this it won't be necessary i fancy to say much more in respect to putting you on your guard of course you will take care to do nothing in the way of standing bail or anything of that sort pas si bête you will say all cheltenham is talking about it and i was told at breakfast this morning that simmons who furnished the carriage horses and servants is gone to london to look after her and that wright the mercer and several others talk of doing the same tout cela mais oui but it can't be helped so many people too come to me for information just as if i ever knew more about her than anybody else at the boarding-table that queer lady elizabeth norris sent for me yesterday begging i would call upon her and when i got there i found it was for nothing in the world but to ask me questions about this mrs barnaby and there was that noble-looking colonel hubert who sat and listened to every word i uttered just as if he had been as curious an old woman as his aunt mais il faut dire magnus that men are sometimes quite as curious as women however they neither of them got much worth hearing out of me and yet i almost thought at one time that the high and mighty colonel was writing down what i said for he had got his gold pencil-case in his hand and though it was on the page of a book that he seemed to be scribbling i saw plain enough by his eye that he was listening to me you know brother i am pretty sharp and i have got a few presents out of this fly-away lady let what will come of it but i could not help thinking magnus and if it was in a printed book it would be called a fine observation i could not help thinking how such a vulgar feeling as curiosity spoils the elegance of the manners lady elizabeth who has often told me that i speak the most exquisite french she ever heard and who always before yesterday seemed delighted to have the opportunity of conversing with me in this very genteel language never said one word in it all the time i stayed and once when as usual i spoke a few words she looked as cross as a bear and said be so good as to speak english just now miss morrison very impertinent i thought mais c'est égal don't think the worst of me for this unfortunate blunder let me hear how you are going on and believe me your affectionate sister sarah morrison mr magnus morrison had by no means recovered the blow given him by this most unpleasing news when a note from mrs barnaby to the following effect was put into his hands my dear sir a most ridiculous but also disagreeable circumstance has happened to me this morning a paltry little tradesman of cheltenham to whom i owe a few pounds has taken fright because i did not return to my apartments there at the moment he expected me the cause of which delay you must be aware has been the great pleasure i have received from seeing london so agreeably 
however he has had the incredible insolence to follow me with a writ and i must beg you to come to me with as little delay as possible as your bail i understand will prevent my submitting to the indignity of being lodged in a prison during the interval necessary for my broker who acts as my banker to take the proper measures for supplying me with the trifling sum i want in the hope of immediately seeing you i remain dear sir most truly yours martha barnaby mr magnus morrison was not so quick as it is called as his sister sarah and in the present emergency felt totally unable to fabricate an epistle or even to invent a plausible excuse for an absence which he nevertheless finally determined should be eternal he was ill-inspired when he took this resolution for had he attended the lady's summons he might with little trouble have made a more profitable client of her yet than often fell to his lot but he was terror-struck at the word bail and forgetting all the beefsteaks cheesecakes porter and black wine that he had swallowed at the widow's cost he very cavalierly sent word by the sheriff's officer who had brought her note that he was very sorry but that it was totally out of his power to come on receiving this message delivered too with the commentary of a broad grin even mrs barnaby turned a little pale but she speedily recovered herself on recollecting how very easy and rapid an operation the selling out stock was so once more raising her dauntless eye she said with an assumption of dignity but little mitigated by this rebuff i presume you will let me wait in my own apartments till i can send to my broker why tis possible ma'am you see that it may be totally out of his power too like this t'other gentleman and we can't be kept waiting all day you'll have a trifle to pay already for the obligingness we have shown and so you must be pleased to get ready without more ado you don't mean to take me to prison fellow for this trumpery debt tis where ladies always do go when they keep carriages without paying for them unless indeed they have got husbands as can go for them and as that don't seem to be your case ma'am we must really trouble you to make haste gracious heaven it is incredible cried the widow now really in an agony why fellow i tell you i have thousands in the funds that i can sell out at an hour's warning so much the better ma'am so much the better for us all as in that case we shall be sure to get our own at last and if the thing can be settled so easily it is quite beneath such a clever lady as you to make a fuss about lodging at the king's charge for a night or so pray miss can you help the gentlewoman to put up a nightcap and such like little comforts not forgetting a small provision of ready money if i might advise for that's what makes the difference between a bad lodging and a good one where we are going dick run out and call a coach will you all further remonstrance proved useless and mrs barnaby alternately scolding and entreating was forced at last to submit to the degradation of being watched by a bailiff's officer as she went to her chamber to prepare herself for this terrible change of residence the most bitter moment of all perhaps was that in which she was told that she must go alone for that they had no orders to permit the attendance of any one it was only then that she felt in some degree the value of the gentle observant kindness which had marked every word and look of agnes from the moment when her first feeling of faintness over she assiduously drew near her put needlework into her hands set herself to the same employment and with equal ingenuity and sweet temper contrived to make the long interval during which they had to endure the presence of two of the men while the third was dispatched to mr morrison infinitely more tolerable than could have been hoped for but on this point the officials were as peremptory as in the commands they reiterated that she should get ready promising however that application should be made for leave to let the young lady be with her if she liked it you may save yourselves the trouble brutes as you are 
cried mrs barnaby as with something very like a sob she returned the kiss of agnes i'll defy you to keep me in your vile clutches beyond this time to-morrow take care that this letter is put into the post directly agnes but i will give it to the maid myself it will reach my broker by four or five o'clock i should think and i'll answer for his not neglecting the business but it may however be near dinner-time before i get back so don't be frightened my dear if it is and here's the key of the money-drawer you know if you want to pay anything better divide the money-drawer with the young lady at any rate said one of the men laughing that you may pick my pockets perhaps replied the vexed prisoner have you enough money with you aunt whispered agnes in her ear plenty my dear and more than i'll spend upon them depend upon it she replied aloud this drew on a fresh and not very gentle declaration that they must be gone directly and the unlucky mrs barnaby preceded by one and followed by two attendants descended the stairs and mounted the hackney coach it was then that agnes for the first time began to understand and feel the nature of her own situation alone utterly alone in lodgings in the midst of london totally ignorant of the real state of her aunt's affairs and unhappily so accustomed to hear her utter the most decided falsehoods upon all subjects that nothing she had said on this gave her any confidence in the certainty either of her speedy return or of her being immediately able to settle all claims upon her what then was it her duty to do during the first few moments of meditation on her desolate condition she thought that the danger of being taken abroad could not have been greater than that which had now fallen upon her and consequently that lady elizabeth would be ready to extend to her the temporary shelter she had told her to claim in case of what then appeared the worst necessity but a very little calmer reflection made her shrink from this and the fact that colonel hubert was now with her which under other circumstances would have made such an abode if enjoyed only for a day or two the dearest boon that providence could grant her now caused her to decide with a swelling heart that she would not accept it the nature and degree of the disgrace which her aunt had now brought upon her was so much worse than all that either her vanity or her coquetry had hitherto achieved that she felt herself incalculably more beneath him than ever and felt during these dreadful moments that she would rather have begged her bread back to empton than have met the doubtful welcome of his eye upon seeing her under such circumstances this thought of empton recalled the idea of the person whose liberal kindness had for years bestowed on her this only home that she had ever loved was it possible that if made acquainted with her present deplorable situation she could refuse to extend some sort of protection to one whose claim upon her she had formerly acknowledged so freely and who had never forfeited it by any act of her own i will write to her said agnes suddenly rousing herself as it occurred to her that she was now called upon to act for herself god knows thought she what my unfortunate and most unwise aunt barnaby may have written or said to provoke her but now at least without either rebellion or deceit i may myself address her this idea generated a hope that seemed to give her new life and with a rapid pen she wrote as follows i can hardly dare to expect that a letter from one whom you have declared you never would see again should be very favourably received and yet my dear aunt betsy permit me once more to call you so how can i believe that the same person who took such generous pity on my miserable ignorance six years ago would without any fault on my part permit me to fail in my hope of turning the education she bestowed into a means of honourable existence and that solely from the want of her protection alas aunt compton i am most miserably in want of protection now my aunt barnaby of whose pecuniary affairs i in truth know nothing was this morning arrested and taken away to prison for debt 
her style of expense has been very greatly increased during the last few weeks and i have reason to believe that she entertained a hope of being married to a nobleman with whom she made acquaintance at cheltenham but who left it about a fortnight ago without taking any leave of her i am not much in her confidence but she has so repeatedly mentioned before me her determination to be revenged on this lord mucklebury as well as her certainty of recovering damages from him that i have no doubt her coming to london was with a view to bringing an action for breach of promise of marriage what confirms this is that the only person we have seen is a lawyer and the same spirit of conjecture which has made me guess what i have told you leads me to suspect also that this lawyer has persuaded her to give the project up for not only do i hear no more of it but she has seemed for the last week to be devoted wholly to seeing the sights of london in company with this lawyer i have not accompanied them not being very well nor very happy in a mode of life so much less tranquil than what i have been used to at empton i tell you all these particulars aunt compton that you may know exactly what my situation is i am at this moment alone in a london lodging my aunt barnaby in prison and with no little danger as far as i am able to judge that when she has settled this claim for her carriage and horses many others may come upon her my petition to you therefore is that you would have the great great goodness to permit my travelling back into devonshire to put myself under your protection not idly to become a burden to you but that i might be so happy as to feel myself in a place of respectability and safety till such time as my kind friend mrs wilmot may hear of some situation as governess or teacher at a school such as she might think me fit for i have very diligently kept up my reading and writing in french and italian with the hope of one day teaching both they tell me too that i have a good voice for singing as my poor mother had perhaps i might be able to teach that i shall remain here unless removed by my aunt barnaby of which i would give you notice till such time as the silverton post can bring me an answer have pity upon me dear aunt betsy indeed i want it as much now as when you found i could not read a line of english in your pretty bower at compton bassett how often i have thought of your flowers and your bees aunt betsy and wished i could be there to wait upon them and upon you your dutiful and grateful niece agnes willoughby number five half moon street piccadilly london having finished this letter agnes completed one she had before been writing to lady stephenson and then took her solitary way to a letter-box of which she had learned the situation at no great distance she heard her important despatch to compton bassett drop into the box with a conviction that her fate wholly depended on the manner in which it was received and having walked back as slowly as possible that she might benefit by the mild western breeze that blew upon her feverish cheek she remounted the dark stairs to the solitary drawing-room totally incapable of enjoying that solitude though it had so often appeared to her the one thing needful for happiness happy was it for her that she had turned her thoughts to her aunt compton for uncertain as was the result of her application there was enough of hope attached to it to save her from that feeling of utter desolation that must at this moment have been her portion without it the more she thought of receiving aid from the pity of colonel hubert's family the less she could feel comfort from the idea when it had been offered as a protection against the notice which they had imagined her likely to excite it was soothing to all her feelings but required or accorded as mere ordinary charity it was intolerable a melancholy attempt at dining occupied a few minutes and then hour after hour passed over her slowly and sadly till the light faded but she had not energy for employment not one of all her best-loved volumes could have fixed her attention for a moment 
she called for no candles but lying on the sofa her aching head pillowed by her arm she suffered herself to dwell on all the circumstances of her situation which weighed most heavily upon her heart and assuredly the one which brought the greatest pang with it was the recollection of having won the affection of colonel hubert's family just at the moment when disgrace so terrible had fallen on her own as to make her rather dread than wish to see him again End of chapter four